0: In Acts chapter 16 today. So we left off last week um, with um, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they went to Philippi. They're ministering in Philippi at the river where women were gathered for prayer. Lydia, one of the women there, she was a seller of purple and thyrotyra, and she was there um, and received the Lord, her and her whole household received Jesus. And uh, after that, we read uh, I'm going to reread what we read last week, as we closed in verse sixteen, uh, where we are told, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did For many days. And Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. So here we see that she has the spirit of divination. We're told that the spirit came out that very hour when Paul called it out and told it to leave. It did. We have power over. Demons, not because of our power, but because of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God. And he did that. Notice that it says in verse 16 that when they went to prayer. You see, anytime we get to the point of really digging in, we want to talk to the Lord. We want to pray. We want to know God's will. We want to seek God's will. We want to pray for maybe other people and, and, you know, the things that are going on in the world. Pray for the new believers that just got saved and were baptized. You know, and as soon as they went to prayer, here she comes. It says that she had been doing this for many days. And she knew as soon as they went to prayer. Anytime you go to prayer, the enemy wants to stop it. The enemy doesn't want us praying because the enemy knows that's where the power is. The power is in prayer. The power that we have in God is through prayer. And it's through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. But immediately when we go to prayer, we're calling on the power of God. And the enemy doesn't want that. And so this girl had this evil spirit of divination, and she did fortune-telling. So, you know, they would make money off of her fortune-telling, the, the the masters that owned her. But Paul was getting a little frustrated. Notice that he left that spirit in that girl for many days, it says. Why? Well, because she never asked. For the spirit to come out. And no one brought her to Paul and said, you know what, this is our friend. And, you know, can you pray for her to be healed from this? No one did that. She was just doing things. And that's the whole thing. We, as Christians, sometimes we're fighting against the enemy in the wrong way. We're just wanting everything to be our way. Uh, You know, some people say, Holy Spirit, go and stop all the work of the devil and so on and so forth. That's not a realistic prayer. Is it God's will that these things stop? God already told us what's going to happen. We already have the whole plan from beginning to end. So we know that these things are going to happen. We know that there's going to be satanic activity on the earth. And why do we get surprised? Oh, there's satanic activity going on at Capitol Hill. Yeah. Um, Surprise? No, it's been going on for centuries. It's just a little more manifested now in social media, in TV, and so on and so forth. It's just more obvious. But that means we as Christians should be a little more firm in our faith because we know the end of the story. We know where the true power is and we know what God wants for this earth. But it isn't going to happen for every single person but it is going to happen to those who receive him as their lord and savior so we need to at least share the good news we need to well paul finally got upset and just said out of her demon you know because the demon was the one that was stopping the work of god in the prayer that was going up And so he said, out of her demon, he cast out the demon. What happened to the girl after that? We don't know. There's nothing that was said about what happened to her. All we know about are her masters then because she was a slave. And so he commanded her to come out and he came out that very hour. And today's message, we're going to be picking up in verse 19. Today's message is titled, Demanding Our Rights. And we pick up in verse 19 where we read, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and say, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans, to receive or observe. Well, the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. Folks, these masters were making profit off the slave girl who was using divination and fortune telling, okay? So obviously she must, have been pretty good at it through this demon for them to make a profit. If she wasn't very good and nothing happened that she was talking about, then they wouldn't have made much profit. But their hope was in profit. Now, what was the message that she was sharing? She was sharing the message, these are the servants of the Most High God who is showing you the way of salvation, her message was true. Her message wasn't false. It was a true message. So what could be wrong with that? The true message. Here's, here's the other thing. The masters heard that message too. They knew what she was saying, and they knew that she was good at fortune-telling, but they didn't receive the message that she was bringing. Their hope was in profit, not in salvation. When we put our hope in things of the world, we lose sight of salvation or the need for it. Because we're content with the things of the world, or our hope is in the things of oh, I hope I can be more profitable. I hope I can have more and and acquire more wealth, and to and that's where our hope is. And so as we are on the road to doing better financially, uh, our four hundred one k is you know bursting at the seams. Not lately, but. If that were the case, we would think, oh, I'm secure. That's where my hope is in that security. But that security ends when you die. Once you leave this earth, um, you're not taking the 401k with you. You're not taking the house. You're not taking none of it. It's going with. So... They didn't care about that. All they cared about was the profit that they were making at the time on earth. So they got mad. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace and then to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews. So here's the key. They were Jews. Okay, well, remember, there was no synagogue in this city. So that means there weren't ten practicing male Jews in the city and and so saying that term "these are jews it was a not a positive thing uh, it, it was almost saying like, "Oh, Jews," because Israel wasn't you know seen as a positive nation as a matter of fact, you know Rome invaded they had control of Israel, of Jerusalem, and the Jews gave them a hard time. So all the Romans knew uh, Jews were such tough people, you know, to uh, oversee, and and they always had a lot of problems. So uh, they were gonna use that as being the reason why these guys were a problem they exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans. Okay, now we're dividing. You can see Jews, Romans, okay, being Romans to receive or observe. That was a lie. There was nothing they were teaching that was illegal for them to follow. They just said it because it sounded good and they were speaking to Romans and they've already identified the enemy Jews and so it was easy for them to say oh but being Romans we're not supposed to you know how I know that it doesn't really matter if that Romans could because Paul and Silas were Romans they were both Roman Roman citizens and it wasn't illegal for them to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But here, these guys didn't know they were Jews and Romans. They only knew that they were Jews. And they weren't teaching Jewish customs. They weren't teaching Jewish dietary laws. They weren't teaching circumcision. So they lied, saying you know, that these is what you're supposed to be doing, and they're teaching that to the Romans, and no, we're not supposed to be doing those things. Then the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes. I, even the Romans tear their clothes off. It, you know, it just, uh, whenever you see people tearing off their clothes, go the other way. And commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them. By the way, beaten with rods. So how many times were they beaten? Well, if you were in Jerusalem, if you were being tried by um, Jewish law, the most that you can be beaten is 40, but not 40, because they showed grace in Jerusalem, 40 minus 1, 39. You were, they were allowed to do 40, but they only did 39 to show mercy on the person that they were beating. No such rule in Rome. If they wanted to beat you 120 times, they could do that. And so we don't know how many, but we know that there were many stripes that they were beat with. And so when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And so here they are being beaten. So far, there hasn't been a trial. They were just beaten because of someone's word against them. Let's beat them because they're Jews. Teaching something we don't agree with. There was no inquisition. There were no witnesses brought forward. They just took them and beat them. And at this point, you know, Paul and Silas aren't making an argument for themselves. I know in our nation, you know, Rome was much like our country today when it comes to their legal system. It was very similar even back then, um, you know, for citizens of the United States, how we, you know, process uh, crime. Now all you have to do is um, commit the crime and then, In many states, you just go before the judge and say, I didn't mean it. And they let you out with no bail. You know, just go, all right, go back on the street then. Obviously, you didn't mean it. You seem like a nice guy. And and they're letting these people out. Have you ever thought that we would see something like this? Uh, We're at a time in our history where things just don't make sense. Now, I'm not going to get into politics here. What I am gonna get into is the spiritual battle going on. This isn't because of politics. This isn't because of who's in the White House, who's, who has control of the, the um, different areas of our government. The, the, the three sections of our government are all in the same control, but it doesn't matter. Because it's people that are being influenced by the enemy. That's what the Bible says. And so when people are influenced by the enemy, they do things that don't make sense. And so that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing things that don't make sense. Out and out lies and I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, out and out lies in the news and on the internet and so on and so forth. You can go uh, go ahead and try to make sense of it. You won't. It, it, there is no way to make sense of all of this. Is there justice out there? No, there isn't. And. You know, so am I making a political statement? No, I'm just making an observation. This is what's going on in our world today. And it's not because of which party is which. That girl was not doing what she was doing because she was part of the Roman political party. She was doing what she was doing because she was demon possessed. And see, once Paul called the demon out of her, she stopped doing it. She didn't continue doing that. Otherwise, we would have heard that. But that didn't happen. The masters lost all hope of profit from her. And so what do we do about it? Do we go casting demons? Do we go to the White House and start casting demons out of people? You know, is that? Go ahead and try. Let me know how it works. I don't know. Uh, this is one of those times where I believe that when the disciples tried to cast a demon out and they couldn't t- cast the demon out and Jesus said, oh, this kind doesn't go out without fasting and prayer. That's the time that we're living in right now. It, it, that there's got to be a lot of fasting and prayer. But I don't believe that we're going to see the world turn around because I believe these are the last days. And that's what the Bible teaches, that in the last days it will be like this. Things won't make sense. Right will be wrong, wrong will be right, good will be evil, and evil will be good. And that's what we're seeing right now. You know, if I gave this message 20 years ago, people would walk out right now and say, you know what, you're just making stuff up. You know, you're you're just trying to get people spun up. No, I, I'm, I am the news. I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm getting my news from a two thousand year old newspaper, and so I'm just telling you what the facts are here. So, when Paul was interacting with the Romans and everything, he didn't go and get the best lawyer he could. He didn't go and say, okay, I'm going to fight for my rights here because he was a Roman citizen and he had the right to do that. But he went through what he went through. He was beaten with rods and thrown into this Inner prison. The inner prison was the place where they put the worst people, the ones that he had to keep the most secure. And they would put them in there and he was put in stocks besides while being in there. So he's not going anywhere. The jailer wasn't there for the beating, wasn't there for the accusations, wasn't there for any of it. He was hanging out at the jail. And they bring Paul and Silas beaten with rods, and immediately the jailer would assume, huh, criminals. Oh, you want me to keep them the most secure that I can? I know just the place. And he brings them in. That's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. He's not judging whether someone is guilty or innocent. He is doing his job securing whoever it is that's brought in by the magistrates. They're the ones who make the decision who is guilty and innocent. And so having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I think that's an awesome thing. First of all, they weren't going, they beat us with rods. I'm hurting, I can't believe this. We were just doing things for God. And look, now we're all beat up in a prison. You know, because I'd be saying that, you know. I would be like, man, Lord, I was just doing your work and here I am all rotted out. But they were praying and singing hymns at midnight. And the prisoners were listening to them. You see, Paul was the consummate preacher. He was the guy who knew the first five books of the Bible were perfect. He knew the prophets. He knew the Psalms. He knew the Proverbs. He knew all of it. And he could probably sit there for hours teaching the Word of God. But he didn't do that. He could teach the Word of God All night until someone falls out a window. But he wasn't doing that either. He was praying and singing hymns. So that's something that Christians do with Christians. We sing songs to the Lord. You know, by the way, when we sing, we're not singing for the audience here. We're singing for the Lord. He is our audience. And so it doesn't matter if we have Michael W. Smith here on stage, or if we just have a recording of him singing How Great Thou Art. It doesn't matter. What matters is what is our heart singing? Is our heart producing a song of love, or are we just trying to impress the people next to us with our vocal range? I'm absolutely sure that's not me, because I I try to move around so nobody gets really offended by my... But we're just singing to the Lord. These guys were in prison, beaten, and they're praying and singing to the Lord. The prisoners were seeing... Christianity in action. They weren't preaching. They were being Christians. They were praying and singing hymns, and that must have had a real big impact on the prisoners that were in there. They got a glimpse of true Christianity. They heard what they were praying. They heard what they were singing. And they got a glimpse of true Christianity. You see, when people come in this place, I mean, we try to make it as comfortable as possible for you know, people that don't know the Lord to come in here and just feel comfortable. Greet them, give them some coffee and, and a donut and come in and sit down and try to relax and then hear the praises of God's people. And to hear a message from the word of God. And that is what draws people in. The Holy Spirit, of course, drew them into the place in the first place. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws people to them. And if he doesn't do it, then they're not going to hear the message. But Then as the Holy Spirit draws them, they come in this place and they hear the message. They hear the singing of the people of God. And it's emotional. Not emotionalism, but emotional. It touches the heart. It says, I'm missing this. I don't have this. And the message speaks to a person's heart. Not just to their mind, This isn't a bunch of information so that they can know how to live their life better. This is the word of God feeding the soul. If you're out there online watching this and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. It's not about do's and don'ts and this and that it's about loving the Lord our God so much that it changes our lives and that it makes us want to live for him not that we're forced to we want to that's what we do here in our church and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. This happens all the time in L.A. with the earthquakes, you know. Uh, prisons, the doors open, the chains are loosed, prisoners go running free. Okay, maybe not, but but it seems like that's what's happening. Anyway, and the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. So this earthquake happens. The chains chains just don't fall off because of an earthquake, but they did in this case, supernatural event. Remember, these guys were listening to the prayers and hymns. And then all of a sudden, this earthquake and the chains and the doors. And what is going on? And the jailer wakes up. And he drew his sword. This is one of the short swords. So it's not like a big long one used for fighting people. It's a short sword used in short Combat, You know, in, in, in close combat. And he was going to kill himself with it. And Paul, what was Paul thinking? You see, if I'm there in prison and the jailer is going to kill himself, I'm like, yeah, boy. <laughs> shh, shh, don't let him know we're here. You know, and, and Paul... Called with a loud voice, saying, "Do yourself no harm, for we are all here." Here's some key things: all, we are all here, uh, going back up. And it says, when the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed, it wasn't just Paul and Silas; everyone's chains and They all stayed. I don't get it. But that tells you it was a supernatural event. That tells you that God was involved in the hearts of the people that were in that prison that night. Because they all stayed. When you're in prison, you see an open door. You know, But Paul already knew what his job was. The Holy Spirit already, this is the same understanding as they were coming, uh, going west through Galatia and they wanted to go up into Bithynia and the Holy Spirit told them no. And they wanted to go to Mysia, no, you're not going there. The Holy Spirit was directing them. And so when the Holy Spirit said in a dream or in a vision that he saw that some a man from Mesopotamia was calling on him and he went to Mesopotamia, so he was calling and following the Holy Spirit. And so here in the prison is the same way. He's following the call of the Holy Spirit. Hey, don't kill yourself. Don't go anywhere. And maybe he was in prison for that jailer and his family. Maybe that was the reason that he was supposed to be there. And it took a beating to get him there. He, he was beaten with rods to get there. Then he, the jailer, called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said... Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uh, This is someone that didn't have intimate knowledge of all the details of what was going on before Paul and Silas were brought to the prison. But I'm sure he knew, because remember, they were there for many days in Philippi. Before this happened. And so I'm sure he heard about these guys that were there preaching this gospel of salvation. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit had already pricked his heart. And here he is thinking of killing himself. Why? Why would you kill yourself? Well, because in Rome, if you're charged with guarding prisoners, and they escape, you suffer whatever the charges were, whatever the sentence was against them, you get charged with. So if there were murderers in there, he was going to be put to death anyway. So he's thinking, I'll just get it over with. I don't want to be beaten like Paul and Silas were. I just want to get it over with. But here, the Holy Spirit changes things in a moment. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul handed him a book and said, here, read this book and do everything that... No, that's not what he said. Here's what he said. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That's what it took to be saved. Does it take something different for this jailer to be saved than anyone else that needs to be saved today? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean, believe in the name? Everyone believes in Jesus Christ that, oh yeah, he was a guy that lived 2,000 years ago. Even the demons believe and they tremble. So what does that look like, believing? And if you believed that you were going to get hit by a bus, you don't go hanging out at the Greyhound Terminal, right? Anytime you saw a bus, you'd go running for safety if you really believed it. And see, believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ means I believe it enough That I believe what he said and I obey what he said, what he told us to do. I listen and I apply his teachings to my life. That's what true believing is. Believing someone, oh, I believe you're going to give me a million dollars, you know, yeah, right. And, you know, then you. You know, just keep going through life, not caring, not doing any... How about checking your bank account? If you really believed, you'd check to see when it hit the account. You'd want to know. Well, when we believe in Jesus Christ, it's more than just an intellectual knowledge of who he is. It's believing to the point where we are changed and we are no longer the people that we were before, but it says that we are new creations in Christ. That's what true believing is, looks like. It's not just, okay, I believe he is who he said he is and uh, okay, I, I said a prayer, so I'm good to go. Many people live their lives like that today. Going through the motions, Following rules and regulations, thinking that that's what's going to get them to heaven. That's the same as just doing works, following the Ten Commandments and those works. And, well, what are you sacrificing? You know, who's doing that for you? And that isn't the way anymore. There is only one way, the way, the truth, the life. His name is Jesus Christ. And when we believe, it changes our lives. We live differently. And so he wanted to know. And they told him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They spoke the word of the Lord. They didn't do something. So, okay, now you have to go through this training You know, now you have to join the church. And no, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that was in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. And now when he brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Believing in God brings joy. It changes our lives. The struggle that we lived before isn't gone, but our hope is no longer in the things of the world that we continue struggling for, but our hope is in eternity, knowing that there will be no more struggle when we get there. And we were just handed the ticket To eternity through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And now we can experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, regardless of the trials that we go through. And so this guy brings them into his house. Now, his house was probably attached to the prison. That's how they did things in those days. You know, they didn't have a lot of travel. Uh, you know, and and ways to get around. So they kept close to where they worked. And so his house was probably attached right to that prison. That's how come he was home. Next thing you know, he was in the prison when the earthquake happened because he was right there. And so now they're at the house and he washes them, then he feeds them. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let those men go what hold on they had them beaten for something they did wrong obviously you just don't grab people off the street and beat them because you know the you have to give practice to the guy that beats people they decided that they were innocent and or not guilty enough to charge them and so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. And so it's like, okay, everything is better now. I'm saved and, you know, and, and you're free and woohoo! you know, now we don't have to worry about anything. You can go ahead. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Paul decided um, to play the Roman card here. I'm a Roman. And you beat me. And that's illegal. I wasn't charged with anything. I didn't have a trial. And you beat me. And now you want to just slip this all under the carpet. Oh, it's okay. We're letting you go. Oh, no, no, no. You see, the problem here is that they openly beat them, making... Paul and Silas appear guilty. Okay, so now what happens to the church that's there in Philippi, that's just this little fledgling church that started? And and what happens to them? Because now they see their leader that came in and planted the church, and now he gets beaten the other people don't want any part of that that saw this happen. And now they're just trying to, ah, oh, let's just get rid of them. We made an example of them. That's all we needed to do. And he said, no, no, no. no. Nope. I'm a Roman citizen. And you beat me openly. And uh, they didn't really understand um, what happened. The magistrates didn't know. They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us in prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come out, uh, come and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They were petrified. We just did this to one of our own citizens, and we could be in a lot of trouble for doing this, they could now be punished for what they did. And they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they did this openly now. They had to come and plead with them to let them out so that everybody knew that they were letting them out and setting them free and so now the church knew, this little church that just got started, they knew, and the people in the city knew. And they weren't off the hook, but uh, the magistrates you know, made amends and let them go. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And so Paul got what he wanted. He wanted to clear his name with Silas. He wanted them to know that this was wrong. If there were actual charges against them, even being Roman citizens, they could have then gone to court and charged them with something, but it was obvious they didn't have anything to charge them with. And so they were letting them go. And so that means people that were going to the church that were becoming believers would not now be charged with the same thing Paul and Silas were charged because there are no charges. It's not illegal to become a believer. And so that's what the church was like at the beginning. Consider it was... Lydia, a businesswoman, a seller of purple, which purple means royalty. It's something that was sold to the upper echelon of the community. And so she was probably a wealthy woman, had a home with servants, and was able to put up the group that came in, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and was able to put them up and feed them. And so she was probably wealthy. And her whole household, it says, were saved also. And then the, uh, the um, prison keeper, he was saved with his family. That's the first church there in Philippi. Just these two families. Okay, there may have been one other person, the slave girl. You know, she had the demon cast out of her. You know, the masters probably didn't want her anymore. Now she's worthless to them. And so maybe because she was set free of the demon, said, no, I really need, I I was the one saying that they're showing the way of salvation. I'm actually going to follow it. So she may have been in the church, although we don't know. Speculation. But then there was one other person that was there in the church as Paul, Silas, and Timothy left. If you look at verse 40, it says, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They encouraged them. Meaning Luke, who was writing this, didn't depart with them. Luke stayed there in Philippi while Paul, Silas, and Timothy then departed. And so Luke was one that was going to be a leader there while they got this fledgling church started. How did they do? Well, when we read the letter to the Philippians we see that they they had trials. They had struggles. That's how come when Paul wrote to them, he was stressing joy. Have joy. Because there are going to be trials. There are going to be struggles. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be all kinds of problems from the outside. Have joy. And it appears that it worked, his messages to them worked because the Philippian church was one that supported them financially and uh, provided for them while they were out there on their missionary journeys, they were providing for them as they went. And so um, they took to being true Christians in that they were doing everything they were supposed to do. They were just going through trials at the time. I say the same thing, have joy, take joy because there are a lot of things out there that make us lose our joy. Yesterday I was, I was furious. I I had a moment of fury. Didn't last long, but it was Cheryl pulled out of our driveway. And as she was pulling out of our driveway, she had her music cranked. She's always just listening to Christian music, singing away in her car. She had the music cranked up. She couldn't hear what I heard. A car coming down the road, probably around 60 miles an hour. Okay, our speed limit is 30 on our street. And uh, I could hear it in the distance. And she, after we talked about it, she said when she pulled out of our driveway, she could see that the car was way down there. Well, at 60 miles an hour, it doesn't take long to catch up. And so she pulled out and started heading up the street. And this car went around her and there's a middle lane in our street, went around her through the middle lane at 60 miles an hour and just flew right on by. Needless to say, I was not happy. And I was like, I'm going to get my three-cylinder Bronco and go after that guy. I'm going to... I, That guy would have been in, you know, Paradise Valley by the time I got out of my driveway. You know, so... I realize, okay, but I'm mad. And, you know, if I'm driving around the neighborhood and I see that car, because it's very specific and I I will see that car again, you know, I'll make note of that. Um, You know, but the Lord said, let it go. Let it go. You see, there are three things we can take away from this teaching today. Just because you do something good Like casting out a demon, it doesn't mean everyone's going to like it. He cast out the demon, you think, oh, wow, praise the Lord. No, you took away my prophet. And now you're going to prison. Just because a door opens, like in a prison, doesn't mean you should go through it. You know, it may appear that that's what... You know, hey, there's the door. I'm a prisoner. I'm out of here. But Paul knew, no, I'm staying right where I am. So does that mean every door that opens, you shouldn't go through? No. If doors open, you pray about it. And let the Lord open that door or keep that door open or close that door. And when you pray about it, you know, you wait. And the Lord will show. He will give an answer. And just because you have the right to contest unfair treatment, uh, sometimes it's better to show grace, to show forgiveness. To demonstrate that and to forgive someone, uh, it demonstrates who Jesus is because he forgave us all. And so when we get to that point, of where we act like that, people will take notice. People will say, there's something different about you. When they're going through trials and struggles, you know what? You may even have had an opportunity to tell them the good news of the gospel and they didn't want to hear it. Oh, get away. That's good for you, not for me. Uh, But then uh, something happens in their life. A, A big trial comes their way, and they don't know what to do, but they remember what you said, and they remember seeing how you live your life, the music that you listen to, the, the fact you pray before you have your lunch, and they see those things and those little things trigger them and remind them there's something more, and that draws them into a relationship with Jesus because they see it lived out before them. Instead of demanding our rights, we should consider how to respond to circumstances in our lives so that it glorifies God and so that others will see that. When we present ourselves as children of the living God, people will recognize that, and it's something different than what the world sees We have examples like that with Paul and Silas in the prison. And uh, so we can be that way also when we are stuck in a prison in our own lives. Amen.